about the spirit of prophecy and what we really want to know tonight is God has spoken in the past through prophets. That's where we got the Bible, right? And what we want to know is does God still speak through prophets? Does God send prophets for the last days? We want to ask that question. You know, a lot of people want to know, is anybody out there? Are we alone in the universe? And there, you know, we we point those radio telescopes into the sky hoping to hear some kind of message from above. And uh, somebody, you know, once said that man stands looking into heaven wondering if there's any intelligent life out there while God stands in heaven looking down at the earth wondering if there's any intelligent life down here. (laughs) Because he has sent messages to us and you may remember on one of our previous messages where we were talking about, you know, they were searching for extraterrestrial intelligence and, and God has sent us messages. He has sent us messages and he's wanting to communicate with us. But does he continue to do that? We've learned already in this series that right back in the beginning, God created paradise and we're going to be talking about that again in our second session. But God created paradise, he placed the first humans in it and he would commune with them, he would meet with them in the Garden of Eden. But we took a detour from the path that God planned for humanity and we became separated from God. And that was our choice, not his. You may well remember that in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve had sinned, God came looking for them and they actually ran and hid from God. And so separation from God has been our experience since leaving the Garden of Eden. And since that time, God has communicated with us primarily through prophets. He has taken people with whom he has a relationship, whom he can trust to deliver the message that he wants to deliver to the people. And he has communicated through prophets. Acts chapter 3 and verse 21, the Bible says, God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. And so God had communicated through prophets. And I guess they had good memories back then because nothing was written down until the time of Moses. Right? The, the stories that were uh, given through Adam and then through uh, his children and then through the patriarchs such as Enoch and Noah and on down to Abraham and then all the way through to Moses, they would have been passed on from family, father to son, mother to daughter, through the generations And some people wonder uh, whether that was a a good and accurate way of communicating truth. But, um, you know, if I was to sing you a a nursery rhyme or something and I I sort of gave you only half the lines, you'd be able to fill in the blanks, right? Because even if I hadn't taught you, uh, so if I said, um, what can we use? Twinkle, twinkle, little star. Everybody knows that, right? I didn't teach you that tonight. How come you know? Because we largely come from a similar community and the community has that knowledge within the community. So even if I made a mistake on the next line, you wouldn't. You know what I'm saying? That story is held by the community and it's actually a very powerful way of remembering uh, the stories. But then, of course, God inspired Moses and he began to write. What God wants us to know is he loves us, he cares about us and he has a plan to help us. That's what God wants to communicate through the prophets. God has not abandoned us. We might have walked away from him, but he hasn't abandoned us. 
and God wants to communicate to us. In the Bible, in the book of Amos, chapter 3 and verse 7, it says, Surely the Lord God does nothing unless he reveals his secret to his servant, the prophets. In other words, in terms of those things that are important in the plan of salvation, in our relationship between God and us, God doesn't do anything in that plan without actually revealing it to his servants, the prophets, in order to, to explain that to his people. So, for instance, in the history of the plan of salvation, there have been many times when God has sent messages. That's what we have in the Bible. And before the flood, God sent Noah. And the Bible actually says about Noah, not only did Noah build a big boat, but the Bible describes Noah as a preacher of righteousness. Did you know that? So Noah was not only a boat builder, he was a preacher. And uh, do you know how long it took Noah to build the boat? Yeah, I don't know whether he, f- he finished it early, but it took 100, 120 years from him receiving that message to actually getting aboard the ark. So for 120 years, he's preaching that message and he's building a boat. And before the flood occurred, God sent a messenger into the world, he sent Noah to share that message. Before the Exodus, before God was going to deliver his people from Egypt, he sent Moses to talk to his people, to go into Pharaoh and say, thus says the Lord God of Israel, let my people go. And so God sent Moses before the Exodus. Before the captivity in Babylon, God's people were going to be taken captive to Babylon and you could list off many different prophets that God sent to them to try to win back their confidence, to win back their love, to try and get them to understand that God didn't want them to go away captive to Babylon, but that's the way they were heading and God tried to drag them back. But many a prophet he sent, and one of them was was Jeremiah, telling the people what was going to happen and how they could survive. And of course, before Christ's ministry, God sent John the Baptist as a messenger before Christ. The question is, would God send a messenger before the second coming of Christ? If you look at the Bible, the second coming of Christ is a pretty big deal, right? I mean, at that point, everybody's made their decision one way or the other. I mean, that's like the closing curtain. And so before the ministry of Christ, it, rep- it, it makes sense that God would choose to send a prophet before the second coming of Christ. Now, of course, we have the Bible, and we've had the Bible for about 2,000 years, and uh, all of the essentials that we need to know for salvation are in this book. But the question is, does God still want to communicate with us through prophets? We want to ask that question tonight. The Bible tells us in 2 Peter 1.21, Peter writes, he says, For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved By the Holy Spirit. This tells us how God communicates with prophets. It says, Holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. I want you to understand how we got the Bible. We believe that God did not dictate word for word to the prophet what they were to write. Now, there are some passages in the Bible which say, Thus saith the Lord, and then there's a passage where God is actually speaking. However, we believe that the prophet was inspired by God 
with a message and then that prophet chose to write out that message in the words that were available to them. And therefore, when you read the Bible, you will read that some of the people that wrote the Bible, like Peter, he was a fisherman. He's going to write slightly differently to Paul, who's a theologian. Who's going to write slightly differently to Solomon, who was a king. Right? Who made write differently to Moses, who was a shepherd. Right? So, in other words, these individuals, these were real people that God really inspired through his Holy Spirit, and they wrote. And all of their experience and their life condition was brought to bear on the writing that they wrote. And they wrote down the message that God gave them, and God inspired the person, and then the person wrote the message. And that's how we got our Bible. Okay, quiz time. What do these prophets have in common? There's a number of prophets there. They're mentioned in the scriptures. Gad, you remember that one? Not so much. <laughs> Shemaiah, Ido, Oded, Azur, Jasher, Nathan. You may remember Nathan. He was a prophet at the time of King David and King Solomon. Elijah, we've mentioned him in this series. And then John, John the Baptist. All of these people are mentioned in the scripture as being prophets, but they all have something in common. If they did write anything, it never made it into the Bible. All these, peoples were prof- all these people were prophets of God, according to scripture, but they don't have any writings in the Bible. Which means you could be a prophet of God, but not have any writings in the scripture. You understand that? You could be a prophet of God, but not have any writing in the scripture. And there are a number of prophets that are mentioned there. You think about Elijah. Elijah is regarded as one of the great prophets of the Old Testament. In fact, when uh, John the Baptist was ministering, the religious leaders came to him and says, "Um, Are you Elijah? Have you come back? Because, of course, Elijah, did Elijah die? How did Elijah, what happened to him? Swing low, sweet chariot, coming forth to carry me home, right? He, he went home to heaven on a fiery chariot. And Elijah, of course, he actually appears to Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, a major prophet in the Old Testament, but doesn't have any writings in the Bible. Then you come to John the Baptist, as we mentioned before. And I want you to notice what Jesus says here about John the Baptist. For I say to you, this is in Luke seven twenty-eight. For I say to you, among those born of women, how many of you were born of a woman? Think about it. For I say to you, among those born of women, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist, but he who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Jesus is saying, of those born of women, none greater than John the Baptist. Well, John the Baptist doesn't have any writings in the scripture. So not only can you be a prophet of God and not have writings in the Bible, you can be a great prophet of God and not have writings in the Bible. That's important to understand. All right. Um, In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, the Bible tells us, Paul is actually writing this to the church at Ephesus. He says, he himself, talking about Christ, he himself gave some to be apostles some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, 
for the work of ministry, for the edifying, that's the building up of, the body of Christ. And we learnt this morning that the body of Christ is the church, right? So in other words, Christ has given these gifts to his believers in order to build up the church and to equip them for the work of ministry. It goes on in verse 14, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. There's a lot of words in there. But basically what he's saying is that God has given these gifts to be in the church in order that we not be deceived or led astray or that we you know, just follow after some whim. God wants us to know what truth is. And that's why he's provided the messages in the Bible as he has. And so that's another role, in a way, of these gifts that are in the church, one of which is the gift of prophecy, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried around by every wind of doctrine. You don't want to be sort of thinking, well, I'm going to believe this about the second coming today, but next week I'm going to be believing something else about the second coming and something different or something completely opposed. God wants us to find out what truth is and to be established in it. All right. So in the Bible, when it talks about prophets, are there both men and women prophets in the Bible? Or is it just the men? No, the Bible tells us quite clearly that there were prophetess in the Bible. Deborah, in the book of Judges, was a prophetess and she judged Israel. Miriam, you may... uh, Remember when we were talking about Moses, Moses had a brother, he was Aaron, he was the high priest, he became the high priest, and Miriam, their sister, she also was a prophetess. So you had uh, both Aaron and Moses and Miriam all had the gift of prophecy at certain stages in their lives, but Miriam was a prophetess, the Bible tells us. Holder is a prophetess that we read about in Second Chronicles. And there was in the New Testament, Anna, a prophetess at the temple in Jerusalem. Just shortly after Jesus was born, she was there and uh, they were all prophetess. Furthermore, in the book of Acts chapter 21 and verse 9, it says, Philip the evangelist had four daughters who prophesied. So evidently there were both men and women in in the scriptures who prophesied, who were prophets, who had that role of prophecy. And prophecy was important in the Bible because the Bible tells us without it we tend to get lost. In fact, uh, Peter writes, he says, we have the prophetic word, word confirmed that you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place. In other words, the words of prophets help us to find our way in a dark place. And it tells us in Proverbs 29, 18, where there is no vision the people perish. When there is no vision, the people perish. When they don't know what God's plan is and where God is leading them, the people get lost. And so God sends prophets into the world in order to guide us as to what his will is for our lives. So what we want to find out is if we're going to talk about does God send prophets for the last days, we want to be sure that we're opening our ears and being willing to receive a true prophet as opposed to a false prophet, right? Because you remember in one of our earlier presentations, Jesus warned about false prophets. 
So we don't want to get carried away with false prophets. So how can we spot a true prophet? There are a number of biblical tests. Number one, a true prophet will be in harmony with the Word of God. That's probably the most important test. A true prophet will be in harmony with the Word of God. In Isaiah 8.20, the Bible says, To the law and to the testimony, we've read this verse before, but it's talking about the Scriptures, to the law and to the testimony, if they speak not according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. So a true prophet is going to be in harmony with the word of God. Number two, a true prophet receives messages from God primarily through dreams and visions. That's how the prophets in the Bible received their messages. In Numbers 12.6 it says, If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak to him in a dream. So that's the way in which typically prophets receive their messages. You might remember when we were talking about the prophet Daniel, that he received um, a prophecy while he slept one time. You remember the king's dream? And then other times he received a vision. And we can see that with the prophet Daniel. Another test of a true prophet of God is that their predictions come to pass. This might sound like a bit of an obvious one, right? I mean, if their predictions don't come to pass, well, how much time are you going to give to that prophet? But Jeremiah 28 verse 9 says, When the word of the prophet shall come to pass, then shall the prophet be known that the Lord truly has sent him. Another test, they edify the church. This is an important one. Because some people come along, they claim to have prophetic messages from God, but are they building up the church or are they tearing it down? Are they, are they building the church of Jesus Christ or are they trying to pull people away from the church of Jesus Christ? And so uh, it edifies the church and that's what one of the uh, reasons why these prof- uh, prophetic gifts are given. 1 Corinthians 14, 4 says, But he who prophesies edifies the church. That simply means builds up the church. It encourages the church. And so that would be an important um, role of a prophet. Now, a prophet may have some pretty startling things to say, right? They may have to sort of shake us up a little bit to get us to get on our knees and, you know, come back to God. But they are not wanting to destroy the church of God. They're wanting to build the church of God. And that's important to know. Number five, another test of a true prophet is they're going to exalt Jesus Christ. If Jesus really is who the Bible says he is, then a true prophet is going to exalt the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 John 4.2 says, Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. And so they're going to uplift Jesus. And then finally, they bear good fruit. Right By their fruits ye shall know them, Jesus said. What is the fruit of their life? You know, they might be uh, spouting forth about the glories of God and his word, but what do their lives reveal about them? And so a, uh, a true prophet is going to have good fruit. You will know them by their fruits. So what about prophets in the last days? There was a prophecy in the book of Joel that Peter picks up Uh, on the day of Pentecost. Peter is preaching on the day of Pentecost. He's inspired by the Holy Spirit and he is saying that what is taking place there is a fulfilment of Joel. But it was a partial fulfilment of Joel and Peter 
sort of adds a couple of words to this prophecy and I want you to notice what he says. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel, he says, and it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they shall prophesy. So the Bible itself predicts that God would send the spirit of prophecy in the last days. And we want to know, has that in fact happened? If we go to the book of Revelation, we were there this morning and we were in Revelation chapter 12, you may remember, and we read this passage in Revelation 12, the final verse, verse 17, it says, and the dragon, who's the dragon? Yep, Satan, the devil, that serpent of old. The dragon was enraged with the woman. Who's the woman? The church, right? So the dragon, the devil, is enraged with the woman, the church, and he went to make war with the remnant or the rest of her offspring who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. And we looked at the six identifying characteristics of the biblical remnant. And we recognised that the great Advent movement of Bible prophecy was that remnant, that God had raised up this great Advent movement for the purpose of fulfilling prophecy and sharing his message around the world. But notice here it says, they keep the commandments of God and they have the testimony of Jesus Christ. And in Revelation 19.10, we discovered this morning that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So evidently, this last day remnant church would keep the commandments of God and they would have the testimony of Jesus which is the spirit of prophecy. Evidently that gift would be evident in God's, day, uh, God's last day remnant church and we want to examine that a little bit more closely tonight. You remember that we talked about the 1,260 year prophecy that came to an end in 1798 and we talked about the fact that many different Christians on both sides of the Atlantic we're studying this passage unto 2,300 days, then shall the sanctuary be cleansed. And we remember we talked this morning about William Miller and his discovery of this passage and his lengthy study of this passage and his burden to share this with the world that Jesus was going to return, he believed. And we talked about the fact that 1844 came and went and Jesus did not come. But I want you to know around that time there were a couple of men who received visions from God at that time. There was a man by the name of Hazen Foss. In 1844 he had two visions from God. don't know if you know that. He had two visions from God and when he received those visions he was very reluctant to share the messages with others. And after the second vision God released him from his obligation to share those messages. There was another man called William Foy, William Ellis Foy, who was a coloured gentleman in the United States and he had three visions between 1842 and 1844 and he actually wrote down those visions. And then in 1844, in December, after the great disappointment, there was a young woman, her name at the time was Ellen Harmon, she was 17 years of age 
I don't know if there's anybody here who's 17 years of age, but a very young woman, 17 years of age, she's not 17 in that picture, and she became Ellen White, she got married, became Ellen White, but she received a vision in December of 1844. And in her vision, she saw that the people of God were on a narrow pathway heading towards the heavenly kingdom. Now, of course, we mentioned before that at this time there were a group of people who were restudying the books of Daniel and Revelation. They were restudying this passage in Daniel 8.14 to try and find out where did we go wrong? And they understood that there was a sanctuary in heaven and that Jesus had begun a ministry there. But coinciding with that discovery in the Bible, this young woman began to receive messages from God. Who was Ellen White? Ellen White was 17 when she received that first message in December 1844. She then received over 2,000 visions and dreams over the next 70 years. She finally died in 1915. She was a woman of poor health in her early years and she had actually been um, through, through a, 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 I think she had a, a fight with another girl at school or something. She had a rock thrown at her, she broke her nose and she was bedridden for a while, she was quite unwell. She never completed anything past a third grade education at school. But she began to have these dreams and visions from God and she began to write down what God had instructed her. Her messages were not intended to be an addition to the Bible. In fact, one of the things that she would say time and time again is go and read your Bible. Go and read your Bible. We'll read some of that in a moment. But out of her work, out of the writings that she claimed to have gotten messages from God, there arose around the globe the, the largest Protestant education system in the world today. Not only that, around the world today, there is the largest Protestant health system around the globe today. I've worked in two hospitals who, that were built because of the inspiration of the, the writings of this woman and what she wrote about health. Now remember she had a third grade education and you would have to wonder where did she get the information from to write such insights about health, about education when she barely had an education and yet today there are thousands of schools that are built upon the principles that she wrote about. I worked in a publishing house that was built because of the importance she placed on printed materials to share the gospel with others. It's interesting when the scholars and theologians of her day were grappling with some element of biblical truth. They would be praying to God for insight and they would be trying to, to understand what the Bible was teaching. And she had no understanding of the messages that they were talking about, but then she would have a vision and God would give her clearly an understanding of the passages that they were trying to study. But when she came out of vision, she didn't understand them again. There were supernatural manifestations attached to her visions too that people observed. 
And uh, I want you to understand that she was a reluctant prophet. Notice what she says here in uh, 1847. Remember she had her first vision in 1844. 1847 she said this, After I had the vision and God gave me light, he bade me deliver it. But I shrank from it. I was young and I thought they would not receive it from me. You know, you read about prophets in the Bible and they're not, it's not the kind of job you want to apply for. Being a prophet of God is not the kind of job that people are queuing up to get. Because often you're receiving messages from God, you have to deliver them to people who don't necessarily want to hear them. And so many of God's prophets were unpopular and you can see that in the Bible. Jesus says, blessed are you when they persecute you for so they did to the prophets, right? Many of the prophets were killed for what they told people about what God had told them to say. So Ellen White didn't want the job but she also wanted to obey God and to deliver the messages that she was given. The Bible tells us in 1 Thessalonians 5, 19 to 21, do not quench the spirit. That means do not put it out. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies. Test all things. Hold fast that which is good, right? I think that's sound advice. Good advice from the Bible. So all I can say to you is I recommend her works to you. I recommend that you read some of them for yourself. We've supplied actually some of the materials that you've been taking with you. Some of them were written by this woman. Now in this seminar, have we been quoting from the writings of Ellen White or have we been quoting from the Bible? The Bible, right? This is about what God has to say through the word, the Bible. Nevertheless, we should not be surprised that before the second coming of Christ, God would send into the world a prophet to direct our minds back to the Bible. Ellen White actually once wrote, she said, the testimonies that she was writing were not sent into the world to be a replacement for the Bible. They were not to be above the Bible or put beside the Bible. But she said that they were given because people had neglected the Bible and the testimonies were given to direct people back to the Bible. That's the purpose. In 1 John 4.1 it says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits whether they are of God. We should test. We want to know whether a person is a true prophet or not. But you're never going to know if you never have a look, right? Some people say, are you serious? Do you have a prophet in your church? And I say, are you serious? You don't? Because the Bible says the spirit of prophecy is going to be prevalent in the last days. So we should expect it. It's in the Bible. I believe in the spirit of prophecy not because of what somebody else wrote, but because it's in the Bible. The Bible tells us that the spirit of prophecy would be one of those identifying characteristics of God's last day remnant people. John continues, he says, Test all things, test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. You don't want to just relieve any old thing that comes along, right? But you do want to test the spirits. And you've got to test them. How are you going to test them? The Bible has to be the measure, right? The Bible is the standard by which we measure everything to do with Christian faith and practice. Notice what 
Ellen White wrote in regard to the Bible. She says, Little heed is given to the Bible, and the Lord has given a lesser light to lead men and women to the greater light. She wanted people to study the Bible. She says again, Cling to your Bible as it reads and stop your criticism in regard to its validity and obey the word and not one of you will be lost. Sound advice. One more. I recommend to you, dear reader, the word of God as the rule of your faith and practice. By that word we are to be judged. So time and time again, Ellen White would direct us, direct our attention back to the Bible. At 87 years of age, she finally passed away in California. She actually spent nearly 10 years here in Australia. Lived not far from here. Her house is still there. But she returned to the United States and she uh, is buried there next to her husband. Died at the age of 87 in 1915. And I want you to notice what the New York Independent newspaper said in in relation to Ellen White after her death. It says, she showed no spiritual pride. She sought no filthy lucre. She was not looking for money. She lived the life and did the work of a worthy prophetess, the most admirable of the American succession. That's how the newspaper reported on the death of Ellen White. And all I would say to you is, have a look. Read her works. The little booklet over there that we had available last night called Darkness Before Dawn which is uh, a condensed version of a much larger work called The Great Controversy. And The Great Controversy basically takes you from the Mount of Olives with Jesus and his disciples all the way through to when God creates the new earth and the new heaven. And it's replete with scriptures from the Bible. And I recommend you have a look at that book. Uh, There's another beautiful book called Steps to Christ. Very little book, but it's the best book I know on discipleship. Best book I know on discipleship. So I recommend that to you. You know, there's a story in the Old Testament of the Bible, in 2 Kings 22, and uh, this is a wall, south end of Jerusalem, and you can see here that there's some gates that have been bricked up. Do you know what they're called? They're called the Holder Gates. Holder was a prophetess in the Old Testament. And in the time of, better get this right, Josiah, The children of Israel in Jerusalem, they had forsaken the Lord and I guess things had got a little dusty around the temple and Josiah came to the throne and he decided he wanted to have a revival. He wanted to turn the people back to God. And somebody went into the temple and they found a copy of the law. I guess that would have been the writings of Moses. And they found a copy of the law and they read it And they discovered, wow, we are miles away from where God wanted us to be. Let's take this to the king. What shall we do? The king says, they read it to the king. The king is so distraught, he rips his clothes, which in those days was a sign of, you know, uh, disgust, I suppose. And he tore his clothes. He couldn't believe how far the children of Israel had gone away from the Bible. And they said, well, what shall we do? And he said, go and find the prophetess Holder and ask, us, ask her what should we do about this. And she came and she gave a message from God. God has sent to us a prophet for the last days. I thoroughly believe it. When I read 
the writings of Ellen G. White, she encourages me to go back to my Bible. She encourages me to pray more. She encourages me to live a, a, a life worthy of the title Christian. The Bible tells us, believe in the Lord your God and you shall be established. Believe his prophets and you shall prosper. All I can recommend to you is that you give, give her a chance. Have a look at what she has to say and I think you'll come to the conclusion that God has spoken once again through his prophets.